But guys, it's not how we start, it's how we finish that proves where we are with the Lord. Guys, we can have moments where we waver in our faith, and every one of us here have. But you know what? It's not how we start, it's how we finish. And so King Saul, sadly, is a picture of someone who, you know, for a moment tastes the things of God and looks like a godly man, but in the end he walks away from the Lord. We'll see that in tonight's text. Another main character we saw in this book, of course, is David. Now, King David is someone who's hard to grasp sometimes because he goes from moments of being on fire for God, being the giant slayer, right? Being the one who will go down and fight the giant when everybody else is scared to death. A man who sees things through spiritual eyes. And then we get to chapters 28, 29, and 30, and he goes and lives with the enemy, the Philistines, the people of Goliath. So you go from one extreme to the other in the life of David. But you know what? I think he's probably the person we can all relate to the most. We have times we're on fire for God and we we're, we're just want to live sold out for Him and times when we get caught up in our flesh and we become faithless and we start living like the world. But here's the good news. David's called a man after God's own heart. Not because David was perfect, but because when David sinned, he would repent. Sometimes it took some time. That's the difference between David and Saul. David's sins could be argued were as great or greater than Saul's. Except for one thing. When David sinned, David repented. When Saul sinned, he continued in it. So as we've gone through 1 Samuel, we've seen these great character examples. We've seen Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, who tried to use the ark for their own good. We saw how they took the ark into captivity, the Philistines, trying to you know, make God obey. We see how all these different things we've seen in the text. So over this 100-year period of time, we've seen how God, in the midst of all of that, is still in control. And we see now God is still going to raise up David. So we get to the last chapter, and I, I, I want to say this. The last two chapters, we saw the, the contrast in David's life. We saw when God's people rebel in chapter 29, and when God's people re- repent in chapter 30. Let me encourage you to grab the CDs. They're always free. Help yourself. So we saw the marks of a believer when he's walking in rebellion. He's numbered among the enemy. He, his allegiance is questioned. In the midst of rebellion, he receives praise from the enemy. And then we saw last week when God's people repent. When, when do we repent? When can you see someone's truly repented? First, when they come to the end of themselves. When they quit making excuses for their sin. Amen? Aren't we apt to do that? We've sinned and it couldn't be my fault. It was somebody else. It was my boss. It was the woman now gave us me, right? All those things. And we want to blame it on somebody else, but true repentance comes when we come to the end of ourselves. When we find our strength in the Lord and not in ourselves. When we seek the Lord for direction. When we respond in obedience to God's promises. When we show compassion on others. And so tonight, as we close out the book, we're going to look at God's fulfillment of a promise He made many years earlier. A promise... To the people that if they asked for a king, he'd give them a king. But in the end, that king would lead them away from God. And they would cry out for his removal. He also promised Saul all the way back. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Right in all those chapters when he was disobeying God. He was walking away from the Lord. When he was not doing what God had called him to do. That he was going to take the kingdom from him and replace him with another man. Many years have gone by. Probably 20, 25 years. And during that time, it's easy for Saul to start thinking that God's grace is God's permission. Guys, we never need to make the mistake of thinking because judgment didn't come quickly, that judgment's not coming at all. You know, God is a God of love and grace and mercy, and when He delays His judgment, it's His heart to reach out to you to get right with Him so the judgment won't have to come at all. Amen? 
Well, King Saul, all these years have gone by, and King Saul has continued in rebellion. A few chapters ago, if you'll remember, he even went to a witch and tried to get a witch to give him counsel so he could hear what he wanted to hear instead of obeying God. So, if you're a note-taker tonight, I titled the message, Giving Up the Throne the Hard Way. You know, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? We'll either bow now and we'll be blessed We'll be blessed and the Spirit of God will come and live, live inside of us and He'll walk with us and He'll give us the promise of heaven He'll adopt us into His family. Or we'll bow later after we die and then we'll have eternal judgment to follow. You know what? We're all going to give up the throne at some point. We either give it up now or we'll give it up later. Sadly, King Saul held on to the throne and he's going to give it up the hard way. So we're going to see the consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love, grace, and mercy and refusing to give him his rightful place on the throne of our lives. Guys, the only person who belongs on the throne of your life is Jesus Christ. But yet we try to sit next to him. Or we just tell him to get lost altogether. He alone belongs on the throne of our lives. So here's what happens when we repeatedly reject his love, his grace, and his mercy. When we won't let him be on the throne. When we remain on the throne of our lives. Here's what we'll see. Number one, it brings defeat to all who follow us. No matter who you are, there's people watching you and people following you. Certainly as parents, as employers, employees, as people who you know, have uh, people you're discipling or ministering to, people younger than you in the faith, when you fall away from God, you bring people with you. Number two, it brings destruction to our families. When a, a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly mother, a godly father if they're not walking with God, if they rebel against God, it impacts their entire family. We're going to see that in tonight's text. Number three, when we see the consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love, grace, and mercy, we're going to see we're defenseless against the enemy's attacks. When we're on the throne, we're basically telling God, I don't need you. You know, God, just leave me alone. I want to live my life my own way. I'm going to do it my own way. And we leave ourselves wide open for attacks of the enemy. Number four, we'll continue to have a physical and fleshly focus until the very end. When we're on the throne, we don't see our need for redemption, our need for brokenness. Number five, we leave those closest to us in despair. Number six, we impact even those watching at a distance. Number seven, it gives opportunity for God's enemies to disgrace His name. Guys, we call ourselves Christians, and when we disobey God, it gives people a reason to mock our Savior. We need to remember that. Next time, we think it's not that big a deal. Well, God's forgiven us, and certainly He has. But you know what? We should never cheapen His grace. And we need to understand, it not only impacts our walk with Him, but it harms His name before a lost and a dying world. Then lastly, it requires others to fill in the gap for us. When we don't do what God's called us to do, God will use others to do what we're called to do. All right. So giving up the throne the hard way, consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love, grace, and mercy, refusing to give Him His rightful place on the throne of our lives. Number one, defeat of all who follow us. Look what it says. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. Now remember who the Philistines were? We all should know this. They're the ungodly pagan idolaters, Goliath was a Philistine. If you'll remember, God had already given them victory over the Philistines if they would simply obey. David has already gone down and fought the, the king of the Philistines, not the king, but the warrior of the Philistines, Goliath, and he kills him. After he dies, all the Philistines are afraid of Israel. 
you remember, they chased them. They began singing songs about how many Philistines David killed. Saul has slayed his thousands, David is tens of thousands. So the Philistines are scared to death of Israel, not because of Israel, but because of Israel's God. They knew that the God of Israel was greater than the God, their God. Well, of course he was, because their God didn't exist, right? So at this point, we see that there's the, you know, these pagan Philistines are in awe of the God of Israel. But some time has gone by, and now they're ready to go fight Israel. What has happened? Let me tell you what has happened. One, King Saul has lost his mind. King Saul is sitting under trees, and King Saul is, you know, going out and trying to kill David, his own, his own you know, warrior, his own armor bearer, the guy who's on his side. They see David, that King Saul has lost his mind, and then what finally threw them over was David is now living with them. The one guy that they were the most afraid of is now on their side. So the Philistines say, hey, we got David on our side. Even though some of the Philistines, as we saw two weeks ago, would not let David fight with them, they knew he wouldn't be fighting against them. King Saul was afraid of his own shadow at this point. So they said, hey, let's go get them because you know what? They're wide open for us. When Guys, when we are on the throne of our lives, we are wide open targets for the enemy. But when we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, I absolutely believe that Satan is scared to death of us. I believe that. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? Satan was in heaven when he got thrown out. He knows who wins. He knows everything. Amen? And so he knows, he knows when someone's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we leave ourselves as wide open targets. God had given them victories when they would step out in faith. But now, because they become faithless, the enemy sees them as a wide-open target. The problem is that they were no longer walking by faith, but now they were cowering in fear. It says in 1 Samuel 28, Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all of Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? So when someone is afraid, they're not trusting in God. Saul is afraid because he's not trusting in God. He's trusting in his own strength. And guess what? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. One of the main reasons the Philistines were so bold now is because they saw that Saul was afraid and now David was on their side. So they're mounting up to have this battle. Now, let me ask you a question. If Saul had given up the throne like he was supposed to, who would be on the throne right now? David. So whose side would he be on? Israel's side. If David was on Israel's side, a spirit-filled godly man were you know, in charge of the children of Israel, the Philistines wouldn't have a prayer. Amen? But because of the disobedience of Saul the rebellion of Saul, and now the disobedience and rebellion of David, because he got tired of being chased around, running over to the Philistine side, they've opened themselves up to the enemy to walk all over them. So too, when we are on the throne of our lives, we become easy prey for the enemy, when we walk in fear and not in faith, and our lives have no godly direction. You know what? I believe, as we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we will not wander around trying to figure out what our life is about. God will give us direction. If it's just day by day, step by step, we'll walk out, we will obey Him, and in His timing, He'll show us what's next. Amen? 
But we won't be worried and we won't be anxious because we will know that God is faithful and in control. Without the Christ, without Christ at the center of our lives, we'll be out of control. So then it says, So the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain at Mount Gilboa. You know what? The Bible says when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit that one will chase a thousand. Right? One spirit-filled believer will chase a thousand. But sadly, what has happened, because they're no longer filled with the Spirit, they're being chased. They're running away. They're fleeing. They're afraid. They're worried. They're anxious. Walking in the flesh without godly leadership, they ran from the enemy. And they were so soundly routed that they ended up where they started. See, when you would mount up for battle, you would march toward each other. And notice where they get to. They're back at Mount Gilboa. Back in chapter 28, we saw that's where they started. So that means they came down to fight the battle and they ran all the way back to where they started and they were getting picked off along the way. We run from the enemy when we are on the throne of our lives. Years earlier, they had rejected God by crying out for a king that they could follow into battle, a king like the pagan nations had. And God warned them of the harm that would come if they insisted. And then He gave them the king they cried out for. Here they are following the fleshly king they cried out for. How does it work out? They get destroyed. Guys, when we follow the world, when we follow the flesh, when we go our own way, when we cry out for the things of the world, we put our faith and our hope and our trust in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ, we are headed right to destruction. And that's exactly what's happened to the children of Israel. If you put your faith in your physical strength or your wealth, you will fall to the enemy every single time. Saul would not give up the throne, and all who followed him were defeated and ultimately destroyed. Anybody who followed Saul, they cried out for Saul. They were told, if you get him, he's going to bring destruction. He's going to enslave your children. You're going to cry out for his removal. They said, give us a king anyway. So much like us. God warns us in His Word. We look at His Word. We read His Word. We act 180 degree contrary to His Word. And then we're surprised when things don't work out so well. God loves you guys. He knows what's best for you. He's not trying to keep you from fun. He wants to keep you from harm. So giving up the throne the hard way. Consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love and grace and mercy. Number one. The defeat of all who follow us. As we walk away from God, we will lead others away as well. There are those who are watching. Number two, the destruction of our families. Verse two. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. You know, the flesh is relentless. Did you know that? The flesh is relentless. The flesh will keep coming and keep coming. Satan will keep attacking He will not let up. Why won't he let up? Because he knows that those who are being used most mildly by God, if he can take them down, he can bring others with him. Guys, we can't outrun the flesh. We must walk in the Spirit if we are to have victory over the flesh. The Bible says if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Guys, it's not you getting stronger. It's not you trying harder. It's not you doing better. It's you dying to yourself and being filled with the Spirit of the living God. That's how you have victory over the flesh over the trials, over the temptations of life, is you're filled with Him. More of Him and less of us. Amen? So enemy is going hard after 
the king. And so too he attacks the leaders in the home. You know why? Why is he going after the king? Because if he attacks the king, he knows the rest of them will flee. If he can get the father to fall, the whole family will fall apart. If he can destroy the marriage, he will harm the children. If he can get the pastor to fall, it will impact the entire church. You know, the enemy will go after those who, again, he knows if they fall, will bring many more with them. Guys, we need to pray for those who are in positions of spiritual leadership in our lives because we need to know that the enemy is not slack in attacking them. Now, here's the good news, guys. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. You know what? As a matter of fact, if Satan's attacking, I love Manny Barron says, you're blessed. Because that must mean God's using you. Amen? So if you're getting attacked, God must be using you. So praise the Lord. So, then it says, the Philistines followed hard after, the son, after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, Malkishua, Saul's sons. Now, Saul's rebellion led to the destruction not only of his followers, but his family. And you know what? Our families are absolutely under attack. And a man and a woman without God, ruling in their lives, destroyed not only themselves, but all those over whom they have authority. Notice who's in that list. Who's the first one mentioned? Jonathan. Was he a godly man? Jonathan was a godly man. But here's the good news, guys. For a godly man, death is not a bad thing. Amen? Now, we are, as we're going to see as we go through the text, we are never to take our lives. That's God that determines when we you know, draw our last breath. Amen? God alone determines that. But notice that Jonathan is doing what God would have him to do. He's fighting the enemy. And in the midst of him obeying God, his life comes to an end. I'll tell you what. My prayer for me and for you is that we would be busy about God's work when we take our last breath. Amen? I want to be busy about his work when I take my last breath. And that's exactly what's happening to Jonathan. But you know what? A man or a woman without God, ruling in their lives, destroys their household, and even righteous Jonathan suffers because of the ungodliness of his dad. For a believer, death is nothing to, fe- uh, is nothing to fear, as I said, because we get ushered into the presence of God. But for the lost, death is the doorway of eternal judgment. And you know what? It's nothing to be messed with. Guys, Every one of you in this room is going to stand before Almighty God one day. And you're going to stand there by yourself. And you're not going to blame anybody else. And when you stand before Him, we'll be accountable for what have we done with His Son. Amen? And how have you responded to Him? So the consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love and grace and mercy. Number one, the defeat of all who follow us. Number two, the destruction of our families. Again, disobedience so wreaks havoc on our households. Number three, we are defenseless against the enemy's attacks. Look at verse three. It says, The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. You know, while God had pronounced judgment on Saul years before, like I said a moment ago, God's grace was not God's permission, and Saul may have thought it was going to you know, continue on, but look what happens. He gets hit with an arrow. And I find it interesting that he got hit with an arrow. First of all, he's wearing an armor. That's got to be a really good shot. You know, if you're covered, you've got a helmet on, you've got armor all over your body, an armor on your legs, an armor on your arms, and you're walking around and an arrow hits you, you know. You know what it is? God divinely brought that arrow right where it's supposed to be. And God will use even the enemy to bring judgment upon those who are outside of God's will. 
Saul remained on the throne apart from God. He is totally defenseless against the enemy's attack. He had all these years to repent and he didn't do it. And so God, in his timing, after giving opportunity after opportunity, brings righteous judgment. Guys, for you and I, when we're outside of God's will, we're apart from his protection. Guys, when we, re- when we walk in sinful disobedience, when we reject His will and His way, and we just do our own thing and we stay on the throne of our lives, our, our actions, will, our sin will have consequences. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It just means that God loves you enough to allow your sin to have consequences, so hopefully it will bring you to the end of yourself and bring you back to Him. Now what's interesting is the archers hit and he was severely wounded. The Bible speaks of the fiery darts of the enemy. And how do you and I have protection against the fiery darts of the enemy? By putting on the whole, what? Armor of God. We find it in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to withstand the fiery darts of the wicked one. You have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. You know, you have the sword of the word of God. But you know what? With each of those things... The one that he talks about protecting us against the fiery darts of the enemy is the shield of faith. Guys, when we have faith in God, we will not fall for the attacks of the enemy. Amen? And guys, we need to have more faith. Now, not faith like you see abused by a televangelist. Amen? I'm not talking about faith in faith. I'm not talking about faith being a movable object where we command faith and it does what we want. Faith is only as good as the object you place your faith in. Amen? And our faith is in Almighty God. It's not faith in faith, it's faith in God. And if you want your faith to increase, the theme verse of Calvary Santa Cruz is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So you want to increase your faith, spend more time in God's Word. And if you're walking around faithless, it's because you don't spend enough time in the Word of God. If we are faithful and fearless like Saul, we'll be open target for the enemy's attack. Saul's defenseless in his flesh, hit with the enemy's arrows. How is he going to respond? You know what? I believe this is still one more chance for him to get right with God. He didn't die immediately. An arrow hits him. He goes down. You know what, guys? We can ask for forgiveness up until our last breath. Amen? Saul gets hit with an arrow, and he goes down. So consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love and His grace and His mercy. Number one, defeat of all who follow us. Number two, destruction of our families. Number three, we become defenseless against the enemy's attack. And as long as we're on the throne, we'll continue to have a physical and fleshly focus to the very end. Look what it says in verse 4. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest the uncircumcised men come, and thrust me through and abuse me. Saul's injured. He's facing an imminent death. One last opportunity, as I said, to get right with God. And sadly, instead of preparing his soul for eternity, the only thing he's worried about is keeping his body from torture. He's so physically focused, he's not thinking about eternity at all. Here's an opportunity to get right with God, and all he's thinking about is, hurry up and kill me, because if they get here, they might torture me, and I don't want to endure the pain of torture. Saul, here's what you need to understand. When you kill yourself, the torture on the other side of that is far worse than anything the Philistines can do to you. Amen? 
We need to understand that separation from Almighty God, eternity with weeping and gnashing of teeth, is far worse. Here's what the enemy does, though. He seeks to kill and to steal and to destroy. I've talked to several people in the last couple of months who've either contemplated suicide or, sadly, one who did. And every time there's an enemy, tell them that's relief. The relief is going to come when you kill yourself. Just take your life and all this pain will go away. No, it won't. The enemy wants us to destroy ourselves. He seeks to kill and steal and destroy. And when people fall for that, they're listening to the enemy. Let me also say, though, it's not the impartable sin. Amen? Now, you have to be outside of God's will and in rebellion to do that. But if you truly know God, He will still forgive you. But here's the point. If you're here tonight and you ever contemplate that, you'll be outside of God's will to do that. It's murder. It's murder of yourself. It's you telling God, no, you're not going to determine my days. You're not going to number my breaths. I am. It's you getting on the throne of your life and making commands of God when you do that. Saul is saying, thrust me through. I don't want to have to deal with these people. Instead of preparing his soul for eternity, he's trying to save himself from temporary physical harm. No doubt he remember what happened to Samson. What happened to Samson? They poked his eyes out, remember? He probably thought, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. So I'm just going to just thrust me through with the sword and get this over with. I want a quick death so it will be over with. It's not over with. It's only beginning. It's only beginning from that point. Again, as bad as the Philistine torture may have been, eternal judgment, he was trying to hasten, is infinitely worse. And look what it says. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore, Saul took a sword and fell on it. You know what he did? He hastened judgment. Again, how does God feel about it? He commits suicide. Now, some have tried to say, well, this isn't really suicide because he's already dying. So, yeah, it's suicide. Because God is the one who determines when we die. Amen? We don't quicken that. We don't hasten that. We don't, oh, quality of life, none of that. God is the one who's in charge. You know, we're, we're, we're on a slippery slope right now where people are saying, well, that person's quality of life isn't that good. We should just let him die. You know what? God determines that and nobody else. Amen? We don't hasten that. You know, maybe there's going to be an opportunity for that person to get saved. Maybe God's going to heal them. We don't know. We need to trust the Lord. Anyone who commits suicide, again, is given into the lies and deception of the enemy. And again, while not the unpardonable sin, it is an act. Here, let me say this. It's an act of cowardice. It is a cowardly thing to commit suicide. Because what you're saying, again, is that I'm just going to escape and get out of this instead of making a stand for Almighty God. Saul, no doubt, is still thinking about this moment right now. Do you understand that? Here we are, 3,000 plus years later, Saul is still thinking about the moment when he chose to fall on his sword. Why? And all the other moments before that when he had an opportunity to give his life to Almighty God. Guys, every person who's burning in hell has has memory of their time on earth. And they remember every opportunity they had to come to know God. How do I know that? Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man's in torment. He says, go back and tell my family. He recognizes Lazarus as he looks across into Abraham's bosom. Again, there's memory there. And I think one of the greatest torments is the memory of all the times and opportunities that they had to come to know God. He may have thought he had more time, but the Bible says today is a day of salvation. Consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love and grace and mercy. Number one, defeat of all who follow us. Number two, 
destruction of our families. Number three, defenseless against the enemy's attack. Number four, a physical and fleshly focus until the very end. Number five, it leaves those closest to us in despair. Boy, I've experienced this lately. Look what it says. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Often people who commit suicide will say, well, I'm doing this because I'll make things better for the people I'm leaving behind. They'll often write that in their note. Or people that have tried to commit suicide will say that. Let me tell you something as somebody who's been in the home ministering to a widow after her husband committed suicide. It does not leave them better. It, just, it crushes them. It brings harm. It brings guilt that shouldn't be there. It's a tool that the enemy uses not only to destroy that person's life, but all the people around them. You know, I did that person's funeral and people were coming up. I could have, maybe I could have done something. Maybe I should have done something. Maybe there's something different I could have done. Guys, when you commit suicide, not only do you succumb to the enemy in destroying your own life, you destroy and impact, potentially destroy, but certainly impact the lives of the people around you. Saul's armor bearer should have been blessed and ministered to be by Saul's godly example, right? If Saul had been the man of God he was called to be, the armor bearer would have been blessed hanging out with him. Tradition says that the armor bearer was Doag the Edomite. If you guys remember what Doag did earlier, he's the one that killed all the priests when, when the other soldiers wouldn't do it. He killed all the priests at the command of King Saul because the priest had dared to give David some food. And they killed all the priests. Guess what? Again, that's just tradition. We don't know for sure. But if that's true, this guy, again, was bringing himself right into the presence of God's eternal judgment. And again, how tragic Instead of bringing this man to the Lord in despair, he follows him in suicide. Often the case of family members of suicides. The uh, recent suicide found out later that this young man, both of his parents had committed suicide. So guess what? Not only do we dishonor God, do we listen to the enemy when we commit suicide, but also we can have an impact on even the next generation. So guys... It's never God's will. It's never God's highest. It's the lie of the enemy. I was talking to someone just this week, contemplating suicide, and he's trying to tell me, I'm just going to go be with God. I'm like, bro, that's not... Again, you're telling God that it's in your timing, not His. Amen? God's not done with you yet. God wants to use you as long as you're breathing in and out. The armor bearer was faithful to follow his master. He was following the wrong master. Wasn't he? He was following after Saul when he should have been following after God. Guys, we've got to make sure we're following after the right master, the only one who belongs on the throne of our lives. You know, it's interesting that Doeg had used his sword to kill the priest, and he fell on his own sword to take his life. I wonder if it was the very same sword. The sword that he used to bring harm to others was the one that brought an end to his own life. Verse 6, So Saul, his three sons... And his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. This fulfills a prophecy, and back in chapter 28, it says, The Lord will also deliver you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Remember Samuel? He went to the witch, and he, Samuel shows up and tells him, Okay, you and your sons are all going to die, and tomorrow you'll be with me. Not in heaven, but in the presence of the departed. We cannot escape God's judgment 
And notice it says this, and all his men died together that same day. All those who were following Saul and chasing David, every one of them died together that same day. God's judgment is swift and it's complete. So consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love and grace and mercy. Number six, it impacts even those who are watching at a distance. Look at verse seven. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. The victory was so complete that even those on the other side of the Jordan fled in terror. Saul's death led to their panic. Why? They had their eyes on the wrong king. They had their eyes on Saul, so when Saul died, they thought, what are we going to do? We don't have a king anymore. Guys, that's why, again, as I said before, we don't put our faith in men, we put our faith in God, because men will fail us every time. God is always faithful. Land given to them by God was now in the hands of of the pagan idolaters, and Saul's wickedness had brought his country to a place of despair and confusion. It was for this man that they had rejected God. Remember? Give us a king. And then he says in Hosea, O Israel, you are, dis- you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king. Where is any other that he may save you in all your cities? And your judges to whom have said, Give me a king and princes. And then he says, I gave you a king in my anger and took him out in my wrath. That's the wrath of God that took Saul out. Saul was not God's man. He was outside of God's will. And then he says to show his grace, but if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. He tells him, if you will obey, I will bless you. You do wickedly, I will take you away. Saul's wickedness impacted an entire nation. And so too our rebellion has far more reaching impacts than we will ever know. I want to say this too. Notice they're outside of the Jordan. Remember there was two and a half tribes that said, we're not going to go over there because the giants are over there. And let's just stay on this side because there's no static over here. Already we've seen by staying over there, they got attacked from behind once, right? And now they're running away again. So staying outside of God's highest doesn't make things easier. It just makes our life less fruitful. Amen? They stayed out of the land of flowing with milk and honey, thinking life would be easier. You know, I don't want to give my life completely to God. That's too much. Let me stay just outside of God's will. And sadly, we see that that doesn't keep them from harm. It only keeps them from having a life that impacts eternity. Number seven, it gives us an opportunity for God's enemies to disgrace his name. In the world's eyes, Saul was God's king. Do you understand that? In their eyes, Saul was God's king. But notice that Whenever Saul falls, God's name is harmed. And so, so too, when anybody who calls himself a Christian rebels, the name of Christ is harmed. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, somebody who I've never met in my life, who lives half a world away, will get caught you know, committing adultery or stealing or robbing people blind, and they'll come up to me and go, Hey, your pastor buddy saw him got, you know, took $60 million from a bunch of poor people. And I'm like, dude, that ain't my buddy, right? I never met him. But the point is, when we call the name of Christ, it harms the name of Christ when we are walking in hypocrisy. And so Saul is, in their eyes, oh, that's God's king. That's their king. That's the guy. And you know what? When he rebels, it brings harm and shame to the name of Almighty God. You know, as Christians, we can be lumped in with the 
you know, the ungodly televangelists or the snake charmers or whatever, right? They try to lump us all in together. That's why we need to stand up for the truth and proclaim it with boldness so they'll know the difference. And it says there in verse 8, So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Goboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. You know what's interesting? What did David do when he killed Goliath? What did he do? He cut off his head. And what, ha- what did they do to King Saul? Cut off his head. You know what? Both of these men had something in common. Goliath and Saul were both very prideful men. They were both men that were filled with you know, admiration of themselves. They were both... You know, very, you know, it says of Saul, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. Well, not anymore, right? <laughs> See just how foolish it is when we trust in our flesh. When we trust in our flesh, we will come to an end. Guys, it doesn't matter how big you are, how strong you are, how rich you are, how smart you are. First of all, anything you have, God gave you. Give Him the glory for it. But when you put your faith in it, it's fleeting. And that's exactly what happens. And sadly, what happens is, what do they do? They're rejoicing and they run and tell everybody and they proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among their people. We have killed the king of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our God is greater. They literally thought that what happened was, up in heaven, their God would fight our God, and whichever one won, then their people would win the battle. And so they thought, our God just proved he's stronger than their God. Why? Because King Saul was walking in rebellion. Guys, You know what? People don't struggle with Christ. They struggle with Christians. Amen? I ask people that. Why? Christianity. I go, what what problem do you have with Jesus? Well, you know, Jesus, yeah, he seems like a pretty... Now, again, seeming like he's a pretty good guy is not enough. Amen? They must make him Savior, Lord, and God, and King. But I'll tell you what keeps a lot of people from Christ is Christians. Well, I knew a Christian one time, and he ripped me off. You know, I knew this guy, and you know, said he was a Christian. And guys, you know what? Again, that's no excuse because we don't follow Christians, we follow Christ. But I want to say this it is a responsibility for all of us who name his name to represent him in a godly way. Amen? I believe we should be the kindest, most loving, most gracious, most giving people on the planet. Amen? We should be reaching out to people in love. We should be the best workers at our workplace, showing up early and working late and not ripping off the boss and doing a job in such a way that he wants 10 more people just like us. Amen? I mean, everything we do, we ought to do to honor God. Those who are students, you should do your schoolwork in a way that honors the Lord. Whatever we do, we do to honor God and to bring glory to His name. Guys, we're supposed to be different than the world. Amen? We should be different in the way we drive, different in the way we talk, different in the way we do everything. We need to honor God in our actions and our behavior everywhere we go. Verse 10. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtaroths, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshane. They wanted to do everything they could to disgrace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believed their God had won the victory, so they took his, his armor and they put it in their temple. And then it says in 1 Chronicles 10.10, they fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. So they've got his head in the temple of Dagon, they've got his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, 
and they've got his body on the, in Beth Shane. Now, those of you who go to Israel with us, Beth Shane is one of the most incredibly, incredible archaeological sites on this planet. They have uncovered pretty much the entire city. You can walk on the streets from the t- that time. It's incredible. A thousand years before Jesus, 1,500 years before Jesus, you walk through the pillars. It's incredible. It's amazing. And you know what? It's in that city. You look up on the hill, and they have the ruins of the previous city. And right up on the top of the hill, that's where they, they had Saul's body hanging there. And they were doing it, why? To mock God, right? Isn't what the world does today? Don't they mock God? You know, I'll tell you, and I, I, and I know, again, we need to be loving, gracious, and merciful, but I have to confess to you, one of the things that just gets me riled up is when I see a Christian fish and they put feet on it. What are they doing? Mocking God, right? I've even seen some that say Satan and have horns on them, right? I told you about the woman who came to work because she, knew, she came to work with a shirt that said, born right the first time. Right? Not needing to be born again. People are mocking our Savior. You know what? I pray that they don't mock Him because of the way we're living. Amen? Some, they're going to mock Him anyway, but we need to live sold out and set apart that they see Jesus Christ in us, and they want to know what in the world is different about us. Remember that the next time you're going through a trial, people are watching. Remember the next time when everybody else is panicked, we shouldn't be. Because our God is faithful and He's in control. So the consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love and grace and mercy. Number eight, it requires others to fill in the gap for us. Look at verse 11. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul. Now what's interesting about this is that Jabesh-Gilead was one of the godly things that Saul actually did. If you guys remember that when Saul first became king, he actually started pretty well. Do you remember right off the bat, he went out and won some battles and people started saying, see, he's exactly what we always wanted. And one of those victories is he went to the people of Jabesh Gilead and he delivered them from an attack by the Ammonites. Now, many years have gone by. The people of Jabesh Gilead remember what King Saul had done for them and they, because of a heart of loyalty to him, are going to go and retrieve his body. You know, it's interesting that when you do something of kindness in the name of Almighty God for somebody, they're going to remember it a lot longer than you think. Amen? Sometimes it's the smallest thing. I was talking on the phone with a guy just recently, and I have to confess to you, he had visited our church many, 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 many months ago. I'm talking to him on the phone. He called to talk to me. He was going through a difficult time. He, and I have to confess, I'm just being as honest as I can be, I had no clue who he was. I had no idea. But I, I, you know, and I didn't lie to him, but I certainly didn't say, well, who are you? I don't know who you, I didn't do that. I just, oh, well, God bless you. Well, how long has it been since I've seen you? Oh, about, you know, I was at your church about nine months ago on a Wednesday night one time. You know what he said to me? And this, this just gripped my heart. He said, he said, Pastor Dave, let me tell you why I called you. You're the only person that has hugged me in five years. He said, when I came to that church, I've never felt so loved in my life. And I thought, how hard is it to hug somebody? But isn't it amazing how something as small as showing someone some tender care and affection in the name of Almighty God has an impact on them? Amen? One other quick story that just comes to mind, because I want to share this with you, but especially for those of you who are greeters here. You know, there was a young man in our church in, in San Jose, and he just called me about two weeks ago, and I hadn't heard from him in six or seven years. 
And he called me up, and I recognized his voice. We talked for an hour. And he said, you know, and he reminded me of something. You know, when he was about 19 years old, he got kicked out of his house when he was 15. When he was about 19 years old, he'd been living on the street. He's covered in tats. He's got hair down, down to here. He's kind of a biker guy. And you know what? He'd been out all night partying. He'd woken up in the gutter drunk. And he, you know what? He was just sick of it. He was only 19. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go to church. He'd never been to church in his life. And he decided to go to church. And he walked into a church the, you know, it was down the street. So he went in there and he, you know, he said, I smelled the high heaven like alcohol. I'm sure I look like a mess. He goes, I sat down in the back row and I was sitting there for a couple of songs. And then they had a break in the songs and people were greeting each other. And one of the ushers came up and told me, you cannot be here dressed like that. You need to leave. So he got up and he left. And he told me for 10 years, he didn't go to church because he knew if he ever went again, they would just kick him out. So finally, again, he comes to a place in his life where he wants to know about God, and he comes to Calvary San Jose, and he tells me the first five, six, seven, eight times he came, he would get in the parking lot, and he could never get out of his car because he just knew if he got out of his car, they would tell him to leave because he wouldn't be wanted there. He said a few times he got out of his car, walked halfway up to the door, and then turned around, got back in his car, and left. Finally, he said, I don't know how, he said five, six, seven, eight times, he finally got to the door. He was sure they were going to meet him at the door and send him packing. And when he got to the door, a friend of mine named Don Shopman reached out, grabbed him by the hand and said, you know, are you new here? I just want you to know that the Lord loves you and we're really glad you're here. And he said right then he started weeping. And Don saw what had happened. He invited him to sit with him and his wife. And then they took him out to lunch. And you know what? That guy got saved. and He's radically on fire for God. Guys, we don't understand how simple it is just to reach out and love on people. Amen. And we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that anybody who visits here one time will walk out of here the most loved on person in their life. Amen? They might think, you bunch of Calvary Chow people are weird. You're always hugging on me, man. But that's all right. Let's err on the side of loving people too much. Amen? But not just in this building, but everywhere we go. It's the simple things that reflect the love. The Bible says that we give a cup of cold water in His name. Amen? That's a simple act. This week I sent an email to my, to my boss just letting her know how much I appreciated her and how blessed I was to work for her. And she came to my desk with tears in her eyes and said thank you. I thought, you know, how little a thing is that? Just let's, guys, let's just be Christ-like. Let's just love people supernaturally. Amen? King Saul, blowing at King Saul, had done something for Jabesh Gilead all those years earlier and they still remembered it. Oh, man, remember what he did for us? We're going to go and bring his body down. Then it says this, All the valiant men arose, verse 12, and traveled all night. Now notice this. This came at a cost to them, didn't it? They traveled all night. And notice, I love this, all the valiant men. I love that in the midst of a godless nation, when their king was not walking with God, when the anointed king was hanging out with the enemy, there were still some valiant men in Israel. Because you know what? God will always have a remnant of godly people even in the most ungodly place. And praise God that that's true in Santa Cruz. Amen? That we be part of that remnant of the body of believers in this county because this county desperately needs Jesus Christ. And this county needs valiant men and women of God who will stand up for Him when nobody else will. Amen? And you know what? I take, it, I take it personal when they talk about how ungodly this place is. I think, well, that means we need to be busy about our commission to go, therefore, into all of Santa Cruz and preach the gospel. Amen? This is where we start. This is our Jerusalem. So these valiant men went out, 
And it says, And they took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshane, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Now, notice that they went, and I believe, they went with the potential of harm because they went into the land of the Philistines, right? They went right into their land, right into their backyard, and went and took the very thing they were so proud of. They risked their lives to keep King Saul's dead body from bringing shame to the kingdom of God. Boy, I'll tell you, how much more should we be reaching out to people who are still alive? Amen? I'm ministering to them. Last verse, Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. You know what fasting talks about? It means that they mourned. They mourned. Guys, valiant men mourn the death of even a rebellious king. We should never rejoice at the death of anyone. You know why? Because that person, no matter how ungodly, Jesus died for him. Amen? And we should not rejoice. The only time we should rejoice at the death of anybody is we rejoice at the death of those who know God because now they're in His presence. Amen? But when an unbeliever dies, it should bring us to mourning because every, again, they, they step right out of here into eternity separated from Almighty God. We must not rejoice but be grieved at the death of the wicked knowing they have passed into eternal judgment. So in closing, giving up the throne the hard way. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You either bow now and be blessed by God, or bow later and receive righteous judgment. We see the consequences of repeatedly rejecting God's love and grace and mercy and refusing to give Him the rightful place on the throne of our lives. Number one, it brings defeat to all who follow us. We lead them right into defeat. Number two, it can destroy our families. Number three, it leaves us defenseless against the enemy's attack if we're walking alone. Because greater is He that is in us if we're walking with God. But if we go against the enemy by ourselves, we're in trouble. Number four, We'll continue on in our physical and fleshly focus until the end. We'll leave those closest to us in despair. We'll impact even those who are watching at a distance. It gives an opportunity for the enemy to mock the name and bring disgrace to the name of our, our God. And lastly, it requires others to fill the gap for us. You know what my prayer is this. Lord, help us to live a life sold out for you. Help us, Lord, to recognize that our actions not only impact our walk with you, but they impact the people around us. Amen? And we need a church in the United States that actually starts living like we believe what the Word of God says. If we believe it, it ought to impact our behavior. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you and worship and honor your name. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for the exhortations we find in your Word. And Lord, for the examples we see. And Lord, I just thank you for the example of, the, of these valiant men in Jabesh Gilead. When all of Israel is falling apart. When their king is committing suicide. When the people are running away. You have a remnant of a few who are willing to stand up for you. Father, I pray that we in the midst of Santa Cruz, Lord, would be part of your remnant that you have in the churches throughout this county. Father, we want to lift up the people here that don't know you. Lord, may we not mock them or make fun of them, but Lord, may we reach out to them in love. And Lord, I pray you just give us that supernatural love. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And Lord, I pray it would be reflected in our actions and our attitudes, the way we treat each other, the way we do our work, the way that we do our studies at school. Everything we do, Lord, may it honor you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. And I do pray for anybody here tonight maybe struggling with the thoughts of, of suicide or 
Lord, I just know that tonight, that that message was for at least a few people here. Father, may they be encouraged, Lord, to know that you desire they have life and life more abundant. It's the enemy who seeks to kill, still, and destroy. But Lord, you want to give us life. And so, Father, we want to, Lord, walk in the abundance of the life you have for us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.